Well, we are in the middle of our sermon series called, Why Did You Say That, Jesus? Where we're wrestling with these scriptures where Jesus said something confusing or challenging. And we have another hard word today, um, but we'll get through it together. Our scripture this morning comes from Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. From there, he set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there. Yet he could not escape notice, but a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, for saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You get half of what you ask for, and none of what you don't. Growing up, my parents said this to us a lot. You get half of what you ask for and none of what you don't. This familiar phrase was and is helpful in motivating me and my siblings to be willing to try new things, speak up when we have a question, make our intentions clear, and to simply ask for the things we want or need. Maybe this Seraphonician's woman's parents taught her the same thing. You get half of what you ask for and none of what you don't. Give it a try. Speak up. Be clear. Don't be afraid to ask. So maybe that's what she had in mind when Jesus is trying to get a moment of solitude She finds out where Jesus is staying, seeks him out, and kneels at his feet. This woman kneeling is implying her worship, showing her reverence for Jesus as a rabbi and Lord, even though she is a Gentile. In Matthew's version of this story, she even calls him Lord, son of David. And when she asks Jesus for help, he tells her, It's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Jesus is basically telling her Israel has greater claim upon God's blessing or food than the Gentiles. Perhaps Jesus is still struggling with the idea of a Gentile mission. The disciples certainly did, and racial and ethnic barriers still hinder the church. And while Jesus' comment comes off as harsh, 
and it is harsh. He's stating facts. Jesus comes for the Jews. Jesus is a Jew. In fact, he is the Jew who is the culmination of Israel's history. Imagine a woman who founded and continues to manage a shelter for women who have suffered physical and sexual assault. She's carefully defined the mission of the shelter and energetically raised financial support for that mission. There are other agencies in the area that serve children, the homeless, and the hungry, but her shelter is dedicated to the needs of abused women. One day, however, the woman answers a knock at the door of the shelter, only to find a desperately needy man asking for food and money. No matter how much her heart goes out to this man, surely she would wonder about the propriety of taking money donated for the care of abused women and giving it to him, no matter how worthy he is. And here we have Jesus, sent to save Israel, or the children, being confronted by a Seraphonician woman in need. Her need is worthy, but what she wants belongs to the children of Israel. This woman's repeated request has brought us, then, to a turning point in the story. The turning point of the history of God's people. What happens when the Gentiles knock on the door of the God of Israel? What happens when the old enemies of God's chosen people kneel before Israel's Messiah and beg for mercy? This woman, this mother, doesn't settle for Jesus' quick answer. She is humble. She pleads. She is tenacious. She pushes back, reminding Jesus even dogs get crumbs from the table. Jesus can still fulfill his mission to the Jewish people, but it need not stop there. Everything about her request demonstrates that she understands Jesus as Messiah, perhaps even better than his disciples, maybe even better than Jesus himself understood it. It is Jesus' obedience to his role as the Messiah of Israel that renders him the savior of all the nations. Because Jesus is the obedient Son of God, the Messiah of Israel, he is the Savior of the whole world. It's easy to take one verse out of context, but we have to read to the end of the story. At the end of the story, Jesus praises the woman's faith and her daughter is healed. She does receive the gift of salvation. We are all included in this gift, no matter our nationality, ethnicity, or social status. None of us has any right or privilege to claim with God. We all come as beggars to the table, and it is solely by God's grace that we are fed. Perhaps we need also to be reminded that God's table is immeasurably larger than we can imagine. Ephesians 2 says, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. 
For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You might have seen or heard of the Netflix show Queer Eye. Each episode features a hero who is nominated by their friends or family to get a life makeover. The Fab Five are the ones who come in and give the makeover. These are five experts in fashion, interior design, food, hygiene, and culture. The hero of one episode of this show was Pastor Noah Hepler. Before going on the show, Noah struggled with self-love, finding his identity in how much he could accomplish at work, never resting or believing himself to be enough. After working with the Fab Five for a week, Noah said, they show you the beauty they have seen in you all along. What a beautiful illustration of the gospel. What a beautiful image for what God does with each of us, taking the things we don't like in ourselves and molding us into a people who can see ourselves as God sees us, beautiful and beloved. Noah struggled to preach grace to himself despite preaching it to his congregation every Sunday. Reflecting on his time with the Fab Five, he described how it reinforced God's grace as something that is active in his own life. He started healing. He has a better sense of self outside his role as a pastor now. He finds more of God's grace in unexpected places. He's a better leader for his community. He looks for moments of grace, staying in the present without getting caught up in what success looks like. As Paul said, don't look at Rome as an example of victory. God is at work in weakness. Pastor Noah's experience on the show was a thin place where the distance between heaven and earth grew so thin. His life became more about experiencing grace than getting the job done or having success. Grace re-narrates what success is. It encourages and empowers us. Grace keeps us in genuine and honest conversation with ourselves and others and God. In Noah's words, grace keeps us focused on the practice of loving God and loving our neighbors. And this Syrophoenician woman today reminds Jesus not to limit grace. And she knows her identity matters. She says, no, Jesus, I am not a Jew, but I am a beloved child of God. I am courageous because I have faith in the miracles God can do. And I am a mother whose daughter is worthy of healing and hope. This gift of healing is not extracted from Jesus. It's granted by his sovereign grace. Jesus does not stop at half of what the woman asked him for. Because of her faith, it might be that in this very moment, Jesus is realizing his mission is not just to Israel, but to the whole world. 
Grace is always God offering us something for which we are not worthy. But grace is not grace if there are limits. How do we try to limit the grace of God? How do we limit the scope of our mission? In this passage, the disciples are either silent or trying to send the woman away. You have to wonder if they truly grasp Jesus as Messiah. If Jesus' own followers miss the point, who will continue his work? If we miss the point, who will continue Jesus' work? Spiritual nourishment for the faithful is essential, but our congregation's mission cannot end there. Great faith seeks the welfare of others. Like Jesus, disciples are continually called to a larger vision of mission, one that aims to embrace the outsider, the stranger, the foreigner, even the enemy. Jesus' mission is our mission, to share the grace of God with the whole world, the grace that is a gift none of us can earn. So, turns out it's not always you get half of what you ask for and none of what you don't. Maybe I'll teach my kids, you get half of what you ask for, except when it comes to grace. Because God's grace is overflowing for all of us, everywhere, every time. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks for your great love. We pray that you would pour out your grace upon us, that it would overflow into the lives of all those around us. Amen.